When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question him among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. We're, we're most, most of us are familiar with this text and with the, what Jesus was doing. Let me remind you, of the fact that uh, when Jesus was talking to the apostles and he had his apostles with him, all 12 at this point, they were engaged in a memorial service. That is, they were engaged in what is known as the Passover. And uh, while they were doing this, at the close of it is when Jesus took the bread and broke it and said, do this remembrance of me. And he took the fruit of the vine, did the same thing, when he gave them the cup and said, Do this in remembrance of me. Now this event is recorded in all three of the New Testament synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The event is not recorded in the book of John. But it is recorded in Matthew, Mark, as well as Luke. And in the two other texts, they do not use the expression in remembrance of me. So in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26 through 29, and Mark 14, verse 22 through 25, that particular phrase is not present. So we have to, we have to turn to the book of Luke to find that this, this statement made. Now it's made again in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, but at this point in the, in the historical documents that talk about Jesus, it's only, it's only recorded in Luke. This do in remembrance of me. Now, the background of this supper that Jesus is stating should be done in his remembrance was the Passover. Now, the Passover was, was a feast that was observed, was supposed to be observed annually. That is, everyone was supposed to come together of the nation of Israel. They were to come to a certain place, a, a place that God would identify at where he wanted them to be. And at that place, they were supposed to partake of a Passover meal, which consists of, of uh, simple items. A, a firstborn, yearling, a goat or a lamb, or a, a goat or, or a lamb, that's, that's correct. And then unleavened bread, and then they had um, bitter herbs. They just had three items that they were supposed to have on, on that particular table. Now... I'm going to read this text for you in the book of Exodus chapter 12, but what I want to mention first of all is that, that this was a, a memorial or a ritual 
that the nation of Israel was to keep. That is, all the sons of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, became one big family and they became a, a nation. And that nation was called Israel. Now, Israel had broken up into two major parts about 700 years before Jesus came. And those two major parts would, would be the northern and the southern nations of Israel. I guess you could call them nations. But the northern part went into what we would call apostasy. They fell away from God. And later on, some of them came back into the area of Samaria. So Samaria was between Galilee and Judea, but those tribes who came back to Judea were called Jews. So here he's talking about a sacrifice or a ritual that the Jews were to partake of in the city of Jerusalem, which was the city of David. Now, let me read the account given that addressed all of Israel, all of that nation. It was a national, it wasn't a holiday, it was a national memorial that all the male individuals in Israel, that nation, were, were to observe at one place. So it happened, it started out when Israel was in Egyptian bondage. You, you recall the story, I think. But let me read it for you in Exodus chapter 12, verse 3 through 14. Moses is the spokesman. He's saying, that is, God is saying to Moses to tell Israel, he said, Speak unto the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, you shall take unto them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. If the household is too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto him and his house take it according to the manner of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it unto the 14th day of the same month. So he was setting aside this particular month. At that time, it was the, it was the month Abib, A-B-I-B. And they were they were started on the tenth day, tenth of Abib, and on the fourteenth day they were to have the Passover meal. He said the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. So they were to do it in concert. It wasn't as if they all went to one place and killed one lamb. Each person, each household had a lamb, and they were to kill it in concert, and then they were to roast it during the evening. He said, You shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the house wherein they shall eat it. So there, the blood for them came in with the, with the sacrifice of the lamb or the goat. And they shall eat the flesh of it in the night, roast it with fire and unleavened bread. And with bitter herbs you shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden it all the water, but roast it with fire, his head and his legs. So you can kind of imagine that this lamb or goat, small goat, yearling, was to be placed on a spit and turned over the fire. And they weren't they were to take it head and all. That's the way usually they, they uh, roast animals. Okay, he said, And ye shall let nothing of it remain unto the morning, and that which remains unto the morning, burn it with fire. And thus shall you eat it with your loins girded. That is, they, they were supposed to be ready to travel, ready to go. And your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. I will pass over the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord, and the blood shall be...
to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's the term Passover. So he'd pass over them and not take the life of the firstborn of that household. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial. Okay. We think of memorials in terms of Christmas, Easter, any holiday, 4th of July. We, we, we have a memorial and then we do things on that day that should remind us of why we're doing it. Right? We, we try to remember why we're doing what we're doing. So that's what they're supposed to do. Basically, it was a ritual. The Passover was a ritual. They were to do it, and when they did it, they were to do it in order to signify to others what it meant. Now, it wouldn't mean something to someone who was not an Israelite. So they had to take a look at it and say, well, what are you doing? What does this mean? And then they were given an explanation. It was a significant memorial. And it was described as such, and it involved three major elements. Blood, which was the blood of the lamb or the goat, the small goat, a yearling. Unleavened bread, that meant that they were not to have any type of leavening in their homes during that period of time. It was a 14-day period. Okay. So they were not to have any leaven at all. They they eat their bread without leavening. That doesn't mean they couldn't use salt. It does mean they couldn't use leaven, and then they were they were to have the 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 lamb, and they also could have bitter herbs. Now those are the three elements that were there on that table. Now you're probably going to think back to when Jesus was partaking the Passover, and they had more than that on that table, didn't they? They had a paste, and they had they had some herbs that they dipped in the paste, and they had wine or fruit of the vine. They, they were to eat it standing up with their shoes on, ready to leave Egypt. Now that was the, that was the way they were supposed to do it. Now, Deuteronomy 16 verse 3 says, You shall eat no unleavened bread with it. Seven days you shall, not, you shall eat unleavened bread therewith, even the bread of affliction. For you came forth out of the land of Egypt in haste, that you may remember the day... When you came forth out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. What were they to remember? The day they got out of Egypt. That's what, when they did that memorial, that's what they were to be thinking about. The day we left Egypt. The day the blood was sprinkled on the doorpost. The day that we were allowed to get, to be freed from our enemy, Egyptians. It was a reminder to them while they were alive. Okay? So they could remember that. And it was to be a demonstration to their descendants that a momentous time had happened in their family history. Right? That, that should be a significant point to us. It was a yearly event enacted at the city God chose, and eventually he chose the city of Jerusalem, the city of David. And it would involve a pilgrimage. Now, in Exodus chapter 12, listen to this, at verse 25 through 28. He said, when it'll come to pass, when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, according to that he promised, you, you'll, you'll keep the service. Keep doing it, he said. Do it every year. Do this once a year. It shall come to pass when your children will say unto you, what does this mean? 
Okay. What does this mean? What are you doing and what does it mean? You shall say it is a sacrifice the Lord's Passover who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. And the people bowed the head and worshipped and the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So did they. So we would assume every year while they were in the wilderness, every year they did this. And they remembered. Okay? It called to mind what had happened to them. Correct? Well, when they passed on, the, the memorial was supposed to continue. But when they passed on, they couldn't rem- the people that were going to partake of it could not remember what their parents had remembered because they had not done it had not been part of their culture, not what well, maybe a part of their culture, had not been part of their experience. So what could they remember? What they would have to do then was to perform that ritual, and then they were to call to their mind what happened to their parents, how they got to that point. An important part of this memorial is that there are only a few mentions in the Old Testament that this was ever observed. There are only a few mentioned, and sometimes it, be, it was a it was a great it was a great happening because all of a sudden for years and years and years they had not done it, and someone came along and said we need to do the Passover. This happened in Joshua's day, so maybe they didn't keep it every year in the wilderness. But when Joshua came along, he said we better do this. So in Joshua chapter five, we have the information that they had a Passover just after they came into the land that God was giving them, the land that flowed milk and honey. But it's not mentioned again for several hundred years. And eventually, in the days of the reformer kings, the kings who were reforming the children of Judah and Benjamin, now Israel, the whole nation itself, had lapsed into idolatry they had lapsed into some sort of activity that that took them away from God and so they had not been observing the Passover but here in the days of these reformer kings in the southern kingdom which we would call the Jewish kingdom Judah the reformer kings came along and they said hey we have not been observing the Passover we better do it so Josiah did it second chronicles chapter 30 gives us that information. And then Hezekiah did it. This is about the time of Isaiah the prophet and Jeremiah. Okay. We have, we have those two events. And then we hear nothing else about it until maybe 300 years later, a long time later. Wow. All of a sudden, we have it again in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, and it's recorded for us in Ezra chapter 6, when Ezra came along and they were coming back from Babylonian captivity, now only the Jewish nation was coming back, not the northern kingdom, just the Jews along with Benjamin and the Levites. They were coming back into the city of Jerusalem. And when they got back, Ezra, who was one of the reformers, he was a priest, and he was coming back and he was trying to get these people in order again, trying to get them to remember their God. And so he 
initiated the Passover again. Okay. So what we have is a situation where it's not always being observed. We, I don't have any information. We don't have any reliable information about how often it was observed from the time of Nehemiah until the time of Jesus. But apparently, when Jesus was here, it had been initiated again, inaugurated again, and here it was, the Passover was being observed. Now, Jesus had gathered with his, had come together with his apostles, and they were going to observe that particular memorial, that ritual, which they did. And at the close of that ritual, which we have read, Jesus took two of the elements from that table, which was unleavened bread, and the fruit of the vine, and he said, do this. He gave them the bread, he broke it, and he said, do this and remember me. Remember me. And then he gave them the fruit of the vine, he said, this is my blood. When you drink this, remember me. Now, they had been remembering their deliverance from Egypt. But now he's saying, I want you, when you do this, to remember me. Now, we know, as we read the New Testament, there's not a lot of information in the New Testament about the Lord's Supper, what we call the Lord's Supper. A couple of texts. But we do know that the early church began to observe this particular memorial people began to come together and remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. He had not been gone that long, but they were going to remember him. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Paul, actually, he had gone through the area before and had established some churches, and one was at Troas. And when he was coming through again, several years later, he was coming back through, and he stopped and went to Troas, and he met with them because he said, they came together to break bread on the first day of the week. So he knew they were going to do it. So we know that Christians were, at that time, coming together on the first day of the week, and they were remembering Jesus. We also have a text in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 and 2, that talks about them coming together and, and contributing their means in order to support the preaching of the Word. Okay, and other activities that God wanted them to do as a people. Now, Paul then talks to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians in chapter 11, wrote a letter to them. They had been coming together and they had been doing that. They had been coming together and remembering Jesus and they were doing it at a meal. They were having a meal, coming together and having a meal. They were sharing that meal with those who didn't have sustenance for the week. They were sharing it with slaves and bond servants, so forth. They're making sure that their brothers and sisters in Christ had what they needed for the week. They've been doing that weekly on the first day of the week. We know that. Okay. And we know it from other writings that, that date back this period of time. Okay. Now, but these people had been abusing that memorial, that time. Now, I'm not sure we can call the Lord's Supper a memorial but we, or a ritual. I'm, I'm not sure we can do that. And I'll explain that as we move along. But we do know that they were abusing it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the church at Corinth. They were abusing that particular activity. 
because he said some of you come together some of you are drunk and some of you are hungry he said if you're going to do this do that at home but this is not to, to take the Lord's Supper then he went to describe what it should be how they should behave themselves so in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 22 through 18 28 he said I've received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you so Paul said he received this of the Lord the Lord told him about this that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread when he had given thanks he broke it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me now he's using the same language that Luke used in all likelihood That's because Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, was writing under the direction of the Apostle Paul. That's probably why they're using the same terminology. Okay. He said, after the same manner, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. What he's saying is you must remember me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till it come. That the word show means tell. You tell the Lord's death till it come. What you're telling something to yourself, basically. Whosoever therefore shall eat this bread and drink this cup, the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Now Jesus is asking his disciples, and Paul is doing the same thing. To remember something about him. I'm, I recall when I was little. I mean little, little. I, I've been a member or part of, not a member of, but part of and around the Church of Christ. All of my memorable days, I sat in the pews with my grandmother and grandfather and my mother and later on by myself with my wife and family. But when I was a little bitty guy, I didn't know what they were doing. Lord's Supper, I knew I didn't get any of it. I wasn't allowed to eat the bread and drink the cup. That didn't happen with me, but I didn't know what was going on. So I asked my grandmother, what what are we supposed to be thinking about? Shh, shh. I asked my mother, Okay, I didn't know. What am I supposed to be thinking about? You see my quandary, my, my, my problem? I don't think the Lord's Supper is like the Passover. I do not believe it's a ritual, nor do I want to think of it as a sort of a monument or memorial that other people look at and say, what are they doing? What I want to say to you is this, that... that uh, the Passover represented something to those observing the activity. But the Lord's Supper represents something to us personally, to me. I have to be thinking about something. And what Jesus is saying is, remember me. Remember me. Okay. He's addressing himself to my conscience and my heart as I break the bread and I drink the cup. He's saying, remember me. Everyone who participates is remembering something 
or should be remembering the Lord. Remember his death and what it means to us. Now, the apostles that were with Jesus could easily be reminded of him. We can be reminded of people too, can't we? Sometimes you'll do something and you remember that's what your mother did. Or you'll do it and say, well, that's, that's how my dad did that. Or this is what my brother did. Or this is my sister. I remember what she did. You see what I'm saying? You remember something about them that reminds you of them. Okay? All right. So the apostles that were with Jesus, when he said, remember me, they could do that pretty easily because they had been with him. They'd been around him. So, for instance, after he rose from the dead, and he, he had uh, passed out of their midst, he'd, he'd, he'd risen from the grave, then he had passed away from them, not passed away, but he walked away from them, and they had gathered together, some of the apostles and disciples had gathered together in a room, and Jesus came to them that night. And they were concerned, they were afraid, they didn't know it was him, and they, they didn't know how to recognize him, and you know what he did? He asked them if they had any meat, and they did. And they gave him some bread, and he broke the bread, and all of a sudden, they remembered him. Well, Luke 24, verse 35, gives us this information. And they told what things were done in the way, and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. So all of a sudden, they could be reminded of Jesus because of him breaking the bread. In John 21, verse 12 through 14, talking about some of these same instances, after his resurrection and before he went back to heaven, Jesus said unto them, he was with them again, come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, who are you? Now what has happened was that these fellows had gone fishing. Peter and, and Andrew and Philip and, and several of them had gone fishing. James and John, they were out on a boat fishing and Jesus was on the shore. This is after his resurrection. John 21. And he called out and said, Children, do you have any fish? They said, we, don't, we haven't caught a thing. He said, well, let your net down on the other side. And they did, and of course they got a big 100, 153 fish. Anyway, Peter wrapped a cloak around him, jumped in the water, and swam to shore. And Jesus was there, and he was cooking breakfast for them. Their friend. And it said, none of the disciples, Jesus said, come and dine, and none of the disciples ask him anything. They didn't ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then, then came and took bread and gave them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was risen from the dead. So they knew him because of what he did. They recognized him. They could easily have their memories quickened. Have it pricked. Their memories pricked whenever the bread was broken at table. It would be very easy for them to think about Jesus. They could sit at a meal. After his resurrection and his ascension back into heaven, they could sit at a meal. And when the bread was broken, that's the first thing they'd think about, Jesus. That's what he did. When they drank the cup, they would think about him. That's what Paul is telling the disciples at Corinth to do. When you break the bread, remember him. Well, in order for us to remember Jesus, 
We have to build a memory. You cannot remember someone you don't know. Get me? See what I'm talking about now? I'm not talking about just going through a ritual and people saying, what are you doing? We're remembering the Lord. Oh, are you really? Do you know him? In order to know someone, you have to build a memory. Okay. There are two ways that you can build a memory of someone that you that uh, you have never met. How can I build a memory of someone I don't know, have never known? The first thing I do is I talk to people or know people who knew the person. I can build a memory of someone if I'm told about that person and they can describe them to me. Identify them and just keep flooding me with that information until finally it's like I know them myself even though I've never met them personally. Don't you see? Now, there are those who did know Jesus who could share that type of memory with us, that type of information. That would, of course, be the apostles. In John chapter 14, verse 6 through 7, Jesus was talking to the apostles and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but by me. If you had known me, you had known my Father also. And from henceforth, you know him and have seen him. So there are some people who knew him. Right? Some people who knew him. John, 1 John 1 at verse 1, John says, I knew him. That was what was from the beginning. Here's what John's writing in 1 John 1, 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled the word of life. Wow, we've got a first-hand in information from a first-hand person who knew that individual personally. John knew Jesus. He said, I know him, I've seen him, I've heard him, I've handled him. Okay, John, tell me about him. Because I have to build a memory of Jesus, and until I know about him, I can't build that memory. Now, personal contact, knowing him and being in his presence was necessary for these men to be able to tell you what they know about Jesus. Right? Now, it started at the baptism of John. When John baptized Jesus, he identified him as the Son of God. From that time forward, these men were trained to know him. They were, they were becoming identified with him, but more than that, they were becoming acquainted with him from the baptism of John. So they were with him for about three and a half years. They became acquainted with him. Now one of them transgressed, betrayed him, and left that number. That was Judas Iscariot. My own familiar friend has lifted up his heel against me. That's what Jesus said. Now, what about, he, he left a vacant spot. And so Peter was thinking, and along with the rest of the apostles, we have to fill his, fill his place because we've got work to do. Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel of every creature. We, we're, we're lacking one person. We're lacking someone to help us. We're lacking Judas, so we need a place to... We need to fill, fill that place up. So they, they selected two men. Acts chapter 1, verse 22, 20, 
verse 20 through 22 tells us how they did this. They, they went through and selected men, and what they were doing was they were looking for men that they knew had been around and been with them since the time that John baptized Jesus. He had to be that with them that long. So they found two guys, two, two men, that fit this qualification. That's what they said. That, that, that they had to have accompanied with us all the time that Jesus went in and out among us. So they found two men that fit that qualification. Only two. And so they, they, uh, they cast lots for him, which meant that they, they took pieces of stone and wrote one man's name on one and pottery and another his name on another and put them in a jug and shook them up and put them on the ground. The first one that came out was the one that they said God chose. Okay, that was Matthias. So we do know then that in order to be an apostle, someone who knew Jesus and could give me the information I needed so I could know him. See, I have to have my personal information. I have to get information about the one I'm going to remember. And so the only way I can build my memory is find someone who knew him and can tell me about him. Right? Isn't that logical? It is, isn't it? Okay, that means that the Apostle Paul was there at the baptism of Jesus. He was there. He wasn't the Apostle Paul at the time. He was Saul. He became an apostle. Jesus selected him as an apostle. But this guy, Saul, he'd been there. He was high up in the, in the ranks of, priest, of the priesthood of the Jews. He was, he, as a matter of fact, he set forth his credentials in the book of Philippians and another book also. But, but the idea was he was there. He knew what was going on. He was privy to everything that happened. So he knew that Jesus, he knew Jesus had been following him around in all likelihood. He was part of the Pharisees that sat, criticized him and so forth all during this time. So when the time came, Paul decided he was, he was not going to go for it. And he actually helped take the life of Stephen, one of the disciples, one of the, one of the uh, individuals who was selected to, to help the uh, widows in the city of Jerusalem. Anyway, Stephen was preaching Jesus, and, and Saul consented to his death. Saul went on the road to Damascus to bring other Christians, believers, into custody, bring them back and punish them and, and interrogate them. And he was confronted on the road to Damascus by a bright light, and Jesus said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know, that's a, quite a question, isn't it? Saul had been there all that time, and Jesus was saying, why are you doing this? You know who I am. Saul said, who are you? He said, I'm Jesus, who you persecuted. Saul said, what will you have me to do, Lord? The jig's up, Saul, the jig's up. You know who I am. You know what I've been doing. You've been there all along. Basically, that's what had happened. Well, well, Paul then, Saul became Paul, and Paul knew about Jesus. So he has personal information. Paul can tell me about Jesus. So I need to build my memory. I need to build my knowledge of Jesus Christ from someone who knew him. Paul knew him. Okay. Their memories were shared. Their personal contact. They shared that memory. Not only did they tell people at that time, but they wrote, wrote it down. Now, I said a while ago that Luke probably, and Luke was a traveling companion of Paul, Luke probably wrote the book that he wrote about Jesus 
from the memories that Paul gave him. Basically, Luke is writing and Paul is helping him get all these facts down because Paul had been there. He knew about Jesus. And so Luke says this. Luke is going to share his memory of Jesus with you, with me. He wants me to be able to remember Jesus. All right. For as much as Luke chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, Luke says, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us. Now, Luke is saying, These men who were with Jesus told us about him, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. So the eyewitness, those who were actually with Jesus, felt his body, ate with him, drank with him, slept with him, heard him teach, they knew him. He's saying, they want you to know him. Right? So I'm building my memory of Jesus. How am I doing it? Because these fellows are telling me about Jesus. 2 Timothy 1, verse 8-13, through 13, Paul said this, be not ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be partakers of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. He has saved us and called us to the holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which is given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But now is made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought, to life, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle. He was appointed an apostle in order to tell me about Jesus, to tell me something about Jesus, which he did. Now, when we hear about Jesus and his life, it's much like this. Have you ever had the experience of somebody introducing someone to you that they have talked about all of their life, all the time they've been around you? Think about it a minute. You've got a friend. And your friend has another friend that you've never met. But your friend thinks so highly of that other person that they just always bring them up and talk to you about them, tell you about them, tell you all the wonderful things they had and all the wonderful adventures they had together and all the good things that person did. And then finally you're introduced to that person and you think, well, it's almost as if I know you. Right? Isn't that, is, have you ever had that experience? To meet someone that you've heard so much about that it's almost as if you've known them all along anyway? That's basically how we should feel about Jesus when we hear these apostles tell us about him. It's like we could almost say, well, we, you've told us so much about him, it's like we've known him all of our lives. Well, John chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus said it this way. He said, I'm the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. I'm known by them. That's you. If you've been listening to these apostles tell you about Jesus, it's like you've known him just like they did. The second way that you build your memory is through a document. Documents. That's what Luke said. Luke chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 says, It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding 
of all things from the very first to write unto you in order, most excellent Theophilus. So he's writing it down. It's documented. So maybe someone told us about Jesus. We got that information through them telling us about him. And then, then there's also the business of looking at documents and looking back through historical documents, reading about that individual, and then learning about them through that source. That's the way Mark starts his, his, his book. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's saying, I'm going to write to you about Jesus so you can know him. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3 says, How should we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which was at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and confirmed unto us by them that heard him? So we've confirmed this to it, and, and now then you can, you can hear and know the things that we know. Galatians 4 verse 8 and 9 says, How be it, when you knew not God, you did service unto them which by nature are no gods, but now after that you have known God, or rather are known of God, how do you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements wherein do you desire to be in bondage again? So once you become familiar with Jesus, and he says here that you have known God or are known of God, now then you, are, you have built your memory of Jesus. So you see why we say that a person cannot believe in Jesus unless they believe in the New Testament, believe in the Word of God? You can't know him. If, you haven't, if someone hasn't introduced you and you can't know him if you haven't read the documents. These two sources give us the information we need in order to remember him. We've heard about him from those who knew him and from documents that detail his life. This source of information is no different than the way we learn our own personal ancestors or what they have done for us. Have you heard about... Um, the genealogical efforts that are being made to tell you what your ancestors were like? Look for their genealogy. Well, you say, I, I'm going to ask my parents about their parents so I'll know something about them. Well, that's been going on for generation, generation, generation. If you want to know something about the people who went before you, you either get it firsthand personally, somebody telling you, or writing you a letter or letting you know who that person was, or by looking up a genealogical tablet or table to tell you about them. Isn't that correct? That's how you're building a memory. We're getting to this point where Jesus said, remember me. And I'm trying to get you to the point where you say, what do I think about? How do I remember Jesus? First of all, you have to hear, know what someone else can tell you about Jesus, which would be the apostles. And then you have to read the documentation. Then you have to know what's going on. Now, Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through 17 says this, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. I'm going to take you down one more road here. What you're asked to remember is what Jesus did for you personally. He's not asking you to demonstrate to the world what he did for the world. He's asking you to remember what he did for you. Do you know what the blood of Jesus Christ means to you? What he did for you personally? What the bread meant, what his body meant when it was broken on the cross? Do you know 
does that mean something to you personally? Or is it a, is it a memorial that you just practice it and all of a sudden you go through the ritual and you say, okay, we'll let everybody know that we believe in Jesus. That's not what, what this is for. When he said, remember me, he's asking you to remember him personally. Remember him. Continue in this text in Romans chapter 8, he says, You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. What I'm, the road I'm taking you down now is that you are related to Jesus. He is your ancestor. So somebody comes along and says, Do you know what this guy did for you? Now, what did he do? What did George Washington do for me? What did Abraham Lincoln do for me? What did, what did any, any of the presidents do for me? What did generals do for me? What did different, different uh, philosophers do, to, do for me? Well, but if they said, here's your ancestor, he was thinking about you, Bill, and here's what he, he said, I, I want to make sure that Bill gets the treasure that I have for him. So I'm, I'm going to make sure he has that. Now I'm thinking in terms of, that's my relative. And he did something for me. So when we think about Jesus and what he did, we need to think about the fact that what he did for you because he is your kinfolks. He's your kinfolks. Do you know what? He is your brother. It's what your brother did for you. That's what you remember. What did your brother do for you? Well, my brother went to, went, to, went to war for me. He went to the Korean War and he helped defend our country. That's what my brother did for me. What your brother did for you was he went to the cross of Calvary and he said, I don't, want, I don't want Hazel to die without hope. I don't want Elmer to die without hope. I know them. They're, they're, my, they're my kin. So when we talk about what Jesus did, we have to talk about the fact that that's what our brother did for us. That's what this text says. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16 through 18 says, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? You're the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. They're my people. So when Jesus gave his life and put his body on the cross, that was my brother dying for me when he shed his blood that was my brother he did that for me Galatians 4 verse 6 says because you are the sons because you are sons he has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts crying Abba Father wherefore you are no more a servant but a son if a son then an heir of God through Christ so what am I supposed to remember when I uh, break the bread with you what am I supposed to remember I know now I didn't know when I was a kid you can't tell me because I, I know what it is I'm so supposed to remember Jesus my brother who said I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure you don't hurt I'm going to make sure that you make it through life I'm going to make sure that, you, that all the things that you've done wrong I'm going to take care of those for you relax Bill it's okay and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shed my blood so that it washes over you and takes away all the dirty things that you've done, all the stains and spots that are on you. I'm going to take care of that for you, Bill. So 
when you break the bread, you remember me. Remember what I did for you. And when you drink the fruit of the vine, you remember me because that's my blood that I shed for you. You're my brother. Let's stand and sing our song of invitation.